Good morning. Once again, we want to acknowledge to our Father and our God in heaven that we are grateful for all of his love, mercy, and blessings. There are those that would have us believe that God is a myth and that Christianity is a hoax. And even among the people of God, uh, there have been naysayers and I doubt, and I rather, I, I would say, I would dare say that all of us have at some point in our lives experienced doubt of some kind. Uh, you remember as great a man as John the Baptist uh, sent word to Jesus and asked him, are you the one that should come or do we look for another? But I'm glad that God is greater than doubt and denial. I'm glad that God has opened our hearts to see the truth of his word, his existence in creation, and his love, grace, and mercy working in our lives. Uh, the psalmist declares in Psalm 3, verses 2 and 3, Many there be which say to my soul, There is no help for him in God. But thou, O Lord, art a shield for me, my glory, and the lifter up of mine head. And I don't know about you, but I'm glad this morning that in spite of what men may say, that God is real and that God is good. And for all of God's blessings, we ought to be eternally grateful. Aside from all the good things that God does uh, day by day uh, that we too often take for granted, I want to give a shout out. There's some good things going on today. I uh, want to shout out to the bishops who I believe are celebrating their seventh anniversary. All right, number seven, amen, and we ought to root for everybody that's married. Uh, that that number will just keep going up and that your days will be happy and many together. And so certainly I uh, want to wish them well. I uh, was encouraged to see Brother Corey come in this morning. Uh, baptized just a few weeks ago and, uh, you know, we don't just want to baptize folk. We, we want to help them grow in Christ Jesus. And so good to see our uh, brother here uh, this morning. We want to direct your attention this morning to Hebrews chapter 11, uh, the text that was read into our hearing. We want to reread again there verse number 13. Hebrews 11, verse 13, These all died in faith, not having received the promises, but having seen them afar off, and were persuaded of them, and embraced them, and confessed that they were strangers and pilgrims on the earth. Based on the words of the Hebrew writer here in Hebrews chapter 11, we want to use this morning as a subject if you don't see it before you see it, you will never see it. And as we consider the text that we have before us here in Hebrews chapter 11, uh, just in case you are wondering, I'm not going to give up preaching for politics and practicing political speak where no one has any idea what you said because it could be interpreted so many ways. There is a definite reason uh, to the title uh, this morning. When you hear the title, appreciate that the word see or, or the concept of sight uh, has a number of contexts in which it can be used. 
Now, the most obvious one I'm not going to deal with this morning, but the most obvious one is physical sight. I believe we're all aware that if you have eyes, and unless something has happened to your eyes, that you can see physically speaking. Well, I'm not using that one this morning, but there is what I'm going to call perceptive sight. In Matthew 27, in verse number 24, uh, the Bible says that when Pilate saw that he could prevail not against the Jews, when he discerned that the Jews would not be satisfied without the blood of Jesus, he saw something perceptively speaking. It's akin to when we use the expression, do you see what I'm saying? Well, I don't really mean can you see the words coming out of my mouth. Unless I have an extreme case of halitosis, you can't see what someone is saying. It means do you appreciate, do you understand what I'm trying to convey to you? Then there is what I'm going to call achievement sight. You remember when God led the Israelites up out of the land of Egypt, that he told them concerning the land of Canaan, I give you the land. And you remember that he sent 12 men to spy out the land, to come back to let Israel know what he was giving them. But 10 of the spies came back with an evil report. And the majority of the Israelites believed the report uh, that the ten spies brought back. And so God said that uh, everybody 20 years and older would die. They would not see the land that he had promised them. Now, God, you're not going to reach what I had for you. Since you think you're going to die in the wilderness, I'm going to allow this to be a self-fulfilling prophecy, and in the wilderness you shall die. They did not see the land in terms of reaching it. And then there's what I'm going to call faith vision. In verse number 13 here in Hebrews 11, the writer says, these all died in faith, not having received the promises, but having seen them afar off. The heroes of faith listed here in Hebrews chapter 11 were able to know the surety of God's blessings and deliverance, even though they hadn't received them as yet. And I leave it to you then to determine which context of C is meant in the title as we go through uh, uh, the text. And, and as we approach the text here in Hebrews chapter 11, I, I submit to you that the challenge of Christianity is not intellectual. You don't have to have a PhD to understand the gospel of Christ Jesus. In fact, Jesus taught in a very simple matter. He, he would use things that everybody could understand so that you could not misunderstand what he was saying unless you had a serious heart problem. You know, he, he would say a sower went out to sow. You know, well, everybody could relate to the idea of somebody planting seed. You didn't have to be a scholar to, to, to get the analogy. But, but many people miss what he was teaching. But, but you didn't have to be, uh, you know, a Rhodes Scholar or, or smart on the line of Einstein's to appreciate the gospel. It's not intellectually deep that, that I need to be a scholar to appreciate it. Uh, I submit to you that the challenge of Christianity is that life happens. We can come in here and sing songs and encourage one another, but your family is still your family when you go home. 
The people you work with are still the people you work with Monday through Friday or whatever your work schedule is. Stuff still happens in your living even though Jesus is Lord. It's not easy to live day in and day out in a troubled relationship or, or dealing with financial stress or emotional trauma and drama, sickness, pain, etc. And, and then while all of these things are going on, people keep giving you doses of all rightism. You ever hear somebody give you a dose of all rightism? I mean, there you are dealing with something and they tell you it's going to be all right. Well, well, how do you know it's going to be all right? And did God appoint you a prophet? I, I, and I'm not saying, I want it to be all right, but, but, but help me believe what you're telling me. How do you know it's going to be all right? In fact, I, I want to be more than all right. I want it to be the best that it can be. But you know, sometimes folk just come along, just, it, it's going to be all right. But when we look at Hebrews chapter 11, the Hebrew writer makes the statement, he said, these all died in faith. Now, these all mean the people that I've already mentioned. Now, there are a host of others, but, but I, I've given you some examples. The ones that I've already li listed, the Abels, the Abrahams, the Sarahs, the Noahs, these all died in faith. Not having received the promises, but having seen them afar off. And the first takeaway this morning from what the Hebrew writer says is that we cannot allow what we see to overrule what we know. Don't allow physical and perceptive sight to overrule faith vision. Do you know when it comes to perceptive sight that we really don't see all that well? You ever go have your eyes checked, your physical eyes? And, and, and you know, now they say uh, a good eyesight is 20-20. Now, when the doctor starts saying stuff like 20-35 or 20-40, uh, you know that contacts or uh, glasses or bifocals are coming. Uh, unless you just want to go around squinting all the time and got to be up close on things in order to appreciate it. But, but when it comes to perceptive sight, we don't have 20-20 vision. They're just some things, perceptively speaking, that we don't always get. Now, that's why we ought to be careful about having an opinion about everything. You know, I don't always have all the facts, and in absence of all the facts, it's hard to understand what's going on. It's hard to appreciate what somebody else is going through if I haven't gone through what they're going through. And we don't do well when it comes to perceptive sight. So don't allow perceptive sight to overrule faith vision. Appreciate that there will be times in life when faith and sight will be saying different things. If I could appeal to the ten spies again. Remember, they saw the land physically, and then they perceived some things based on what they saw. Those folk are bigger than we are. We can't overthrow those people. Now, faith, which is what Caleb and Joshua, uh, uh, Caleb and, uh, uh, somebody help me, the other fellow. Caleb and Joshua. It just didn't sound right. Caleb and Joshua. Uh, faith is what they were looking by. It, it doesn't matter how big they are. God has said, I give you the land. But do you know that story is not just there for us to read? It's sometimes in life we look out and we see giants in the land. That there are things bigger than me, but, but God has told us something, and, and we ought to embrace them by faith. See, faith sees God's promises, 
and God's power, but sight sees circumstances. And you can't allow circumstances to rule your life because life always has circumstances. Anybody in here, your circumstances are always everything you want them to be. No, there's always going to be something in your circumstances that if it was up to me, I'd tweak it a little bit. But appreciate, when it comes to faith, the devil can't stop us from hearing what God has to say. And I believe that Paul said, Romans 10, 17, that faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. The devil can't stop us from hearing what God has to say. But what he does is he tries to get in our sight because he knows we are prone to allowing what we see to overrule what we know. What do we know? You know, God has just told us some things. There are some things we just ought to know. In 1 Corinthians 15, verse 58, the Bible tells us that our labor is not in vain. You don't ever do anything in God's service for an empty purpose. Your labor is not in vain. Now, we ought to know that. But you ever get discouraged about kingdom work sometime? Now, now what do we know? We know our labor is not in vain. Well, what does sight say? Man, it's been a little while since we baptized somebody. Is that what God called us to do? Did he call us to baptize folk? Or did he call call us to teach the gospel? And let people make an informed decision about whether or not to be baptized. See, he called us to teach the word. And when the seed falls in good soil, the result from that will be that they will obey the gospel by being baptized. But your job ain't just to go out and dunk folk in the water. I mean, if that was the case, we could wrestle people in the water if all we had to do was get them wet. No, your job is teach the gospel. And even while you're teaching the gospel, don't miss you are doing what God wants to be done. I want people to make an educated decision about the gospel. Sometimes they will decide no. And it doesn't mean you did anything wrong. Sometimes they just don't have a heart for the word of God. But your job is to teach them. Don't get caught up in, in circumstance, in, in results. Uh, you know, how many did we baptize? Well, yeah, we ought to baptize folk if we teach in the word. But your focus is on teaching the word and let God give the increase. But you see, the devil hope we get caught up in, on, on what we see. Uh, He's been running that game ever since he appeared on the scene in the Bible. You, you read Genesis chapter 3. What did, he, what did he do to Eve? He, he got Eve to focus on what she saw. Now, now, Eve, what do you know? I know God told us stay off that tree in the middle of the garden. I know that. But after she talked with the devil, what did the Bible say? When she saw that the tree was good. See, that, the, the, the devil, he can't stop you from knowing what God said, but he can get you to look at things. He, he, he can get you to perceive things. See, see, I know what God said, but look at that. Who, who can live like that? I, I know God has promised you things, but, but where is his promise right now? You over here struggling. And what is your God doing for you right now? And what we ought to know, I think I missed a, I get caught up sometime and, and miss a click. Uh, uh, yeah, 2 Corinthians 5, 7. But, but here's something we know. Here, here's a fact of life. God's word is the title deed to what he has promised. You know what a title deed is, don't you? 
when you, when you get the title to something, it, it, in as much as we can own something, it means it's yours. Yeah, yeah. Anybody like me, you bought your car on time, and after you make that last payment, they send you the title. Boy, that's a good feeling, because it means a number of things have changed. Legally speaking, not only is the car mine, but, but I don't have to send the finance company anymore in God we trust. Man, a whole lot of things change once I have the title. My insurance goes down because now I don't have to carry full coverage because I own it. That's a good feeling when you get the title. Amen. But don't you know God has given us the title to a whole lot of things? Amen. You are my child. I've given you the title to joy. I I've given you the title to peace. You ever read Philippians 4, 6? Be careful for nothing. That's God's title deed to peace. Yeah. Yeah. Hey, don't worry about it. Pray about it. And whatever you need, I am your God. I already got it covered. We cannot allow what we see to overrule what we know. And then looking further there in Hebrews chapter 11, uh, verse number 14, uh, the Hebrew writer says, For they that say such things declare plainly that they seek a country. It, you know, we, we can relate. We want something more than what we have right now. You know, it doesn't matter how much of this world you have, there's got to be something better than what we have right now. If you don't believe that, go back and read Ecclesiastes again. Solomon had it all, and all he could say in having it all is vanity of vanity, all is vanity. Solomon said, I got it all, but when I die, I'm going to leave it behind, and for all I know, some fool may inherit it. You work yourself to the bone to acquire something, and you've got to leave it here. We came with nothing, and we leave with nothing. And then Hebrews 11, verse 15, And truly, if they had been mindful of that country from whence they came out, they might have had opportunity to have returned. Uh, I submit to you second this morning, that we can't be handcuffed by our history. See, one's history is one's past. And isn't it interesting how our perception of our history can be distorted? You ever listen to people sometimes talk about their history before they came to know Christ Jesus? Before they were baptized into Christ and added to the church by the Lord? Uh, uh, you ever listen to folk talk, man, I didn't have it this hard when I was out in the world. I look, I, I, I look, I don't know you before you obeyed the gospel, but what I do know is you ain't never had it as good as you have it right now. Your life is always better with Jesus than it was before Jesus. Now, your circumstances might have changed, but you are better with Jesus, whatever your circumstances might be. See, because before any of us obeyed the gospel, we were subject to the wrath of God. Now, you can put all you want to about circumstances on the one side of the ledger. All you need to balance that out and more is have subject to the wrath of God on the other side. And when I am no longer subject to the wrath of God, I am better off than I was before. But you know, to listen to folk tell it sometimes, you know, sometimes we talk just like the Israelites. You ever read Numbers chapter 11 in your Bible? The Israelites were talking... Uh, you know, they out there in the wilderness, they're they, they not eating the way they want to, not drinking when they want to. It, it's hot. We're tired. The folk are big. And you know how sometimes we just focus more on circumstances than we do on God's blessings? 
And, and look, we do it over much less than the Israelites. When it was cold, we can't wait for spring to get here. When spring got here, we can't wait for spring to be gone because of the pollen and the heat. and, the, and Whatever it is, we, we just always want something else. Uh, numbers 11 in your Bibles. Uh, and when the people complained, it displeased the Lord. And the Lord heard it. Now, even if we couldn't read anymore, there are two takeaways right there. When we complain, God is not happy. You complain, you complain when it's hot. You complain when it's cold. You complain when it rains. You complain when the sun is out. You complain when you have. You complain when you don't have. You complain about complaining. The Lord was not pleased. And he also heard it. Now, my mama's sitting right there in the audience right now. You could complain, but the one thing you didn't ever want was for her to hear it. You know, time to come in. All other kids still running around out there playing. You come in complaining, but you were wise enough to do it under your breath or in your mind where she didn't hear it. See, the thing about God is you can do it in your mind and God still hears it. God knows everything. When we complain, God hears it. And then notice what he said. And his anger was kindled. Now, some folk don't scare you when they get angry because all they do is sell wolf tickets. You don't ever want God to be angry with you. And the fire of the Lord burnt among them and consumed them that were in the uttermost parts of the camp. Well, why was God angry with Because not only were they complaining, but they were lying while they were complaining. It dropped down to verse 4. And the mixed multitude that was among them fell a-lusting. Now, there's a, another lesson for us. The mixed multitude. We, we need to talk about that sometime. Well, what did the Bible mean when it said the mixed multitude? And you know, because sometimes we hang out with a mixed multitude, and sometimes we hang out with the mixed multitude more than we hang out with the people of God. Uh, yeah, but I got to be done by 9 o'clock, so we talk about the mixed multitude another time. And the children of Israel also wept again and said, Who shall give us flesh to eat? See, circumstance. My circumstance ain't what I want, so let me start complaining and lying. Which is what, uh, you know, too often we do. We start complaining about our circumstance rather than by faith remember my father owns the universe. Now watch the story they tell. In, in verse 5, we remember the fish which we did eat in Egypt freely. The cucumbers and the melons and the leeks and the onions and the garlic. And they were just going down to Golden Corral every time it was time to eat. It, just having a smorgasbord. But now our soul is dried away. There is nothing at all beside this manna before our eyes. Now look, they didn't have anything to eat. God rained manna from heaven. And, and all they could say is, we tired of this light bread. Not, Lord, thank you for providing for us. We ain't eating the way we used to eat back in Egypt. Well, well, question, if you ate so well back in Egypt, why were you crying for a deliverer? Well, when Moses left Egypt, why did you follow him? I, I don't read in the Bible record where they tied anybody up and dragged them kicking and screaming out of Egypt against their will. Why did you follow Moses if you had it so good back then? Sometimes Christians want to go back to their past. And at times, our speech indicates that we have been deceived into believing that my past without Christ was better than my present with Christ. At times, 
our living would mislead others into thinking that the temporary pleasures of this life are better than the eternal treasures of the next life. Now, how do we do that, preacher? When we put a higher priority on the secular than we do on the spiritual. You know, I don't have time to come to Bible class. Yeah, I ever heard somebody say, I don't have time for an extracurricular because I'm tending to God's business. Wouldn't it be nice to hear somebody say that? I don't have time to be involved in this thing or that thing because I'm serving the Lord. But you sure enough hear folks say, well, you know, I would come to Bible class, but I got to do this. Or, or I would come, but I got to do that. I, now, now, where are you laying up your treasure? In heaven or down here? And it's a sad thing when we let our history handcuff us. Israel was handcuffed when they halted between two opinions in 1 Kings 18. You remember Elijah asked them, now, now who are you going to serve? And they had to show down and he said, let the God that answers by fire be God. Handcuffs restrict one's mobility. I got caught up again. Uh, handcuffs restrict one's mobility and restrict one's capacity. And appreciate that sight will handcuff you spiritually. Sight will impede your spiritual mobility and restrict your kingdom capacity. See, that's why you can't walk by sight. Sight will be telling that we can't, over, we can't subdue the land. Those people are too big. Sight will tell you we can't keep teaching the truth because they may lock us up if we do. Sight will say we, we can't tell folk the truth because there may be all kinds of consequences that the church will suffer if we do. We ought to sugarcoat the gospel because we don't want to hurt anybody's feeling. We, we, we don't want folk to go away mad or hurt. Sight will strangle your willingness to be a child of God and impede your effectiveness as a servant of God. And then finally there in Hebrews chapter 11, uh, verse number 16. The Hebrew writer says, but now they desire a better country, that is, an heavenly, wherefore God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he hath pre prepared for them a city. I submit to you third this morning, we must desire something better. In Colossians 3 verse 2, Paul exhorted the Colossian Christians, set your affections on things above. You know what he was telling them? Desire something better. There's something better than what this world has to offer. That there's something better than secular concerns. But when we talk about desire, there's a difference between what I genuinely desire, and I'm going to put that adverb on it, but between what I genuinely desire and what I think looks nice. See, when I genuinely desire something, then I'll do what it takes to get it. You know, sometimes we genuinely desire the wrong things, but we'll do what it takes to get it. You know, sometimes we genuinely desire stuff we can't afford, but we'll do what it takes to get it, and then bemoan all the consequences of having it after it comes into our possession. But see, when I think it looks nice, I'd like to have it, but I'm not willing to work for it. I, years ago, I used to like the Incredible Hulk comic books. And, you know, being a wiry fella, 
you know, even, even back then, you know, I'm a little more wiry than I am now. And, and, and as you would read the comic books, you'd come across this ad from Charles Atlas. And, and, and supposedly he had this secret to help you go from the 99-pound wiry fella to the big fella with muscles on his muscles. And I always thought the fella with the muscles on his muscles looked nice, but I wasn't willing to do what it took to look that way. And I don't know even if I was, I don't know that I could have acquired that look anyhow. I'm glad I didn't invest the time. But there's a difference between what I genuinely desire and what I think looks nice. And how much one desires a thing is dependent on at least two factors. One, how much, uh, how much one values the thing in question. And then two, one's ability to appreciate the value of the thing in question. See, a major problem for many people is not knowing how to properly value things. In John 12, verse 43, the Bible says that among the chief rulers, there were some that knew that Jesus was right, but they loved the praise of men more than the praise of God. See, they didn't know how to put the right value on things. They put a higher value on man's praise than they did on God's approval. Don't you know that's the problem, a problem of many people in our world today? They don't know how to properly value things. So because I don't know how to properly value things, that they chase the wrong thing. But if I know how to properly value things, then I know that the most valuable consideration in life is my soul's salvation. That, that there's nothing more important than that. Jesus himself asked a rhetorical question, Matthew 16, 24. What is a man profited if he shall gain the whole world? 16, 26. What is a man profited if he shall gain the whole world and lose his own soul? I think Jesus was trying to help us appreciate where value was. You don't have anything more valuable than your soul. If you're going to invest, invest in your soul's salvation. Well, how do I invest in my soul's salvation? By being obedient to the word of God. What does God's word require? Well, well, God wants to be reconciled to us. We were alienated from God by our own sins. God wants to be reconciled. But in his word, he tells us we must hear the gospel of Christ Jesus, Romans 10, 17. We need to believe Jesus to be the Christ, John 8, 24. We must be willing to repent of sin, Luke 13, 3. Make the confession of faith in Christ, Matthew 10, 32. And then be baptized in the name of Jesus for the remission of sins, Acts 2, 38. And upon that obedient response to the gospel, God will wash away our sins in the waters of baptism, indwell us with his spirit, and add us to the church. And even having obeyed God to that point, he requires, Ephesians 4.1, that we walk worthy of the vocation with which we've been called. It means you obeyed me in your response to the gospel, and you continue to obey me as you live your life day by day. Perhaps you're here this morning, you want to respond to the invitation, or you want the church to pray for you. And if either of those are the case, then we bid you to come as we stand and as we sing the song of invitation. <laughs>